For this fourth Sunday, the Advent, we light the candle of peace, joining the previously lit candles of hope, love, and joy. We feel it every year, the yearning for peace in a world of conflict and strife. Today, we read in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7, the foretelling of the one who will bring peace to the world in a passage so famously familiar that it is sung throughout the world during the Christmas season. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah proclaimed this message to the nation of Israel, and even the priest Zechariah prophesied over John, his son, concerning this bringer of peace in Luke chapter 1, 76 through 79. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell this people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give the light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. These scriptures emphasize the amazing gift of peace that Jesus brings into our lives. It is a peace that is so deep, it is beyond our full comprehension, but not beyond our reach. This week, as the fourth week of Advent unfolds and our preparations for the celebration of the birth of Christ on Christmas Day are almost complete, may you know this peace of Christ that reaches beyond our daily lives and circumstances to fill our very souls. Well, in just a few days, this thing is all done. And I can't wait. Like, Let's be honest, I cannot wait. All the fuzzy, warm feelings, all the smiles and laughter, the happiness and joy, can it just be over? Now, I know you're thinking like, wow, our pastor's Mr. Scrooge. No, I'm not. I, I'm talking, let me just, guys, we're almost there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. The Hallmark Christmas movie season is almost past. Just to hold on a little bit longer, just a little longer. I, uh, <laughs> do I get an Amen. Listen, I, I, there's nothing wrong with Hallmark movies, I guess. I, I do enjoy the fact that I get to see the grown-up version of like my 12-year-old uh, childhood crushes, DJ Tanner and uh, Winnie Cooper. It's like, cool, that's what they look like as adults. But you know what really bugs me about that is there's always this beautiful, happy ending, which I know we like happy endings, but there's just beautiful resolution, this perfect piece that takes place. And it's a, it's a, it's a problem that gets resolved. But the problem with, that I have is that problem never had to be a problem in the first place if people would just communicate. Just talk to one another. I like you. You like me? Cool. Let's not spend the next hour and a half pretending like we don't like each other. You know, so communication's a thing. But then the, the cheesy, sappy, really love endings. Just once, can they throw 
like the husbands in the room, because we are in the room because we can't get the remote, can they just throw us a bone and like, can the Christmas tree farm burn to the ground or like a, a tornado hit the bed and breakfast? Just once. And then the credits roll. Perfect ending. Perfect peace. The resolution of a not real problem or a problem that could certainly be, be avoided. Everything works out in the end. And the problem I have, and we all know this, this entertainment, but not, not everything doesn't always work out in the end, does it? Today we, we heard the reading on our Advent theme, Peace. We have this new giant peace ornament. We lit the peace candle. Peace is drawn from Luke chapter 2 when the angels announced Christ's birth to the shepherds. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. But what does peace on earth look like? What does peace on earth look like in 2020? I think Christians and non-Christians, we all, whether or not you recognize the Luke chapter 2 passage, we all hope for and long for peace on earth, especially at this time of the year. But in 2020, it seems like peace on earth seems to be something that we really, really long for, but perhaps something that we really don't feel is going to happen. Like it's a kind of a pessimistic hope. We've entitled this message, and this is our fourth and final message in our Advent series, A Weary, a weary World Rejoices, and it comes from the song, O Holy Night, because a weary I think, is a great description of the world we live in. It's an accurate description of 2020, and I don't want to go into detail on all the dramatics of 2020. I've done that. As a matter of fact, almost every message this year has had the, the reality of 2020, the troubles and the difficulties, as the background of, of each message. So let me not lay it out, but just in summary, it's been a year of loss. Our plans, our dreams, our hopes, some of us have lost jobs, some of us have lost loved ones or relationships, a sense of security and a sense of peace. Now, I, I recognize those things probably happen every year, but it just seems magnified this year. And then Christmas seems to magnify that. I'm not even sure that I'll see my parents this year for Christmas. Many of you wonder what your plans will look like, not even certain. And we're just days away. So when the calendar rolls around and says, Jerome, it's time to speak on peace. I gotta be honest with you, I, I do so with fear and trembling because I recognize that I could stand up here, we could exegete a text, we can talk about biblical truth, we could try to apply it to our lives. But the reality is I'm talking to a room and people who are online who have real problems and real pain and real hurt. And I know that happens every year, but it just seems a little, the wound's a little deeper this year. So what does God say about peace for those who are facing trouble? Peace for those who are in the midst of trouble. Now, while the proclamation of peace on earth happens in Luke chapter 2 when the angels announce it to the shepherds, we're going to look towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry. Will you turn your Bibles with me? John chapter 14. And as you turn, let me give you a little background. John chapter 13 through 17 is what we call the upper room discourse. It's Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, just hours from being arrested, just moments before he's leaving them. And he tells them, I'm about to leave you. And they're like, wait a minute, we, you can't leave us. He senses their, their, their anxiety over him leaving them because they've been with him for three and a half years. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. He knows they're troubled. 
But then he says peace a couple of places. And we're going to look at both those places. I know some of you are like, boy, Jerome really likes the book of John. If you're new to Radiant or just a guest, we've been studying through the book of John and we haven't yet got to these passages. So I don't want to like break it all down, but we're going to kind of fly from one passage to another where Jesus talks about peace for his troubled disciples. Will you read with me? John chapter 14, starting in verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happened, so that when they do happen, you will believe. Jesus has, Jesus has a lot in the upper room discourse, and we can't break it all down. But he talks a lot about the trouble that will take place. And this idea that I want you to keep the faith and believe is, is woven through all of it. There's a number of themes woven through this, and we'll get there one day in our sermon series on John. But I want to look at verse 27, because this is that, that spot where we see the word peace. The Greek word translated peace here is erene, or my Greek is terrible, but it's, it's, it's actually the name of a Greek goddess from Greek mythology who is the personification of peace. But here, the definition of, of this word is harmony and tranquility. It's the, the, the Hebrew equivalent, maybe a word that you know more, uh, it's more commonly known as shalom. Remember, the, the New Testament was written by Jewish people who lived in a world where Greek was the dominant language. So they're writing in Greek, but they're, they're speaking of shalom and they're writing. That's what they're saying. It's, shalom was the, a, greeting of, uh, a greeting and a farewell of, of wishing someone peace. And here Jesus is, is actually giving a farewell. I'm leaving you with peace, this gift of peace. He's not wishing them peace. Let me slow down. He's not wishing them peace. Peace be to you. He's saying, I'm imparting you. Peace. Some of your translations say, my peace I give you. Now let's talk about peace in the Bible. We already talked about shalom and, and the Old Testament, but peace was one of the defining characteristics of the Messianic age. This is what they were waiting for in the Old Testament to come about. They wanted things to work out in the end according to what they thought peace looked like, and obviously Jesus comes and does something a little different. Things didn't work out their way, but you know what, who things were working out for at that time? By the time Jesus rolls around, things were working out for the Roman Empire. They had their peace, their Pax Romana. They had peace. They conquered. They controlled. With their military might and the sword, they achieved peace. See, stretching back all the way to the Old Testament, we see the Jewish people longing for a Messiah, ran over and ruled by kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. It started off with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks, and now it's the Romans. And the Romans have their peace. But it's not a peace that lasts, and it's not a peace that's the ultimate peace. Can I, can I give you a cool trivia note here? This is really, really cool, and it's not a rabbit trail, I promise you. Do you know the fact that the Roman Empire was in place when Jesus was born facilitated the spread of the gospel. The Greeks take over the, that, that part of the world and the Romans come after them and Greek had already established itself as the, as the language, the international language, so people could communicate across borders in the Greek language. That's why the New Testament's written in Greek because it had to be understood by everyone. 
And then the Romans build a whole bunch of roads. And so Paul is able to travel, and early Christians were able to travel throughout that whole eastern part of the Roman Empire where Greek was the official language, where they were able to communicate. They were able to do so safely and securely because of the peace that Rome had. Is it, one, is it a wonder why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, See, the Jews were longing for peace. The Romans thought they had peace. They've achieved a, a type of peace. But ironically, the real peace that comes came through the suffering and death of an innocent man at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. Luke says this in Acts chapter 10 about the peace that happens, the peace that was fulfilled, that they were waiting for, that comes through the Messiah. This is the message of the good news, Acts chapter 10, verse 36 this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Then Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, did for us. Because of Christ's death, we have peace with God. But it doesn't just end there. Peace with God is, is, is huge. That's why we're here today. But you know what peace with God opens up for us? the peace of God. Look at verse 27 again. Don't be troubled or afraid. My peace I give to you. Some of your, some of your translations say, my peace I give to you. That's more formal equivalent, and I think it's a better translation than what I'm preaching out of, although I love this translation, because it's Jesus imparting, once again, peace. Jesus is giving something that's different than what the world gives. What does the world give? Peace that depends on just the right circumstances, just that hallmark moment when everything falls into place. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something different. You can face troubles, but not be troubled. You can feel afraid, but not live in fear. Not live afraid. Once again, Paul, in Philippians 4, 7, he says, that, what, is, what is the peace of God? It guides our hearts and minds. So we looked at this, this passage, early part, early part of the, the, the discourse. Now flip with me to chapter 16. This is the very end. Like chapter 17 is like this priestly prayer that Jesus prays over his disciples. But this is the very end. This is the last thing that, that we have recorded in John, the interaction between his disciples and, and, and himself. Before we read it, I was really tempted to come in here and start like in the middle of the chapter. But I, but I decided we're just going to get to the very, we're going we're to narrow it down, but I'm going to give you a really quick bird's eye view. John 15, Jesus talks about the world's hatred towards him and his followers and, and, the, and the suffering and the, and the troubles that they will have as a result of him. Not the only place he talks about it. He talks about it all through the Gospels. In, in chapter 16, Jesus opens up saying that he is concerned that they keep their faith despite the difficulties that he just told them is going to happen. He says that his going away is a good thing because then the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come and help them. And then we continue on in verse 16 of chapter 16. He says, I'm going to be gone, but I won't be gone. And they're like, what? Why does he talk in parables? It's so confusing. They don't understand what he's saying. So he responds to their confusion by saying, like, listen, your, your sorrow is going to turn to joy. And he gives us this verse, this verse that has our sermon series title in it. Verse 20 of chapter 16. I tell you the truth, you will weep 
and mourn for what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. That's a reference to us. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Now there's a fun moment. There's a hallmark miscommunication moment here that's about to happen. Go ahead and peek at verse 28. They were complaining that Jesus speaks figuratively, and Jesus says, soon I will stop speaking figuratively. But then four verses later, four, 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 how does English work? Four verses later, the disciples say, at last, you're speaking plainly and figuratively. No, he's not. He said, I'm about to, but I'm going to. Soon I will, but I haven't. So there's a misunderstanding on their part of what Jesus is saying, but they're so eager to understand what Jesus is saying that they, they, they leap out in verse 30 and say, now we understand. You know everything. You're the, you, you come from the Father. You come from God. And what they say theologically is true, but they're, that they're grasping for straws. I mean, they don't really fully grasp what they're saying. <laughs> and then we get to the passage we're going to read. Chapter 16, verse 31. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? Remember, they just said, we believe. But the time is coming, indeed it's here, when you will be scattered, each of you going to his own, his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let's say amen, pray and go home. I love this passage because I hear my daughter when I, uh, every once in a while I might be known to exasperate my daughter and say things that make her go like, really? Really, dad? It doesn't really sound like that, sorry. You want to come and demonstrate? No. <laughs> but that's what I hear Jesus. I don't hear Jesus as an 18-year-old girl. I, I hear Jesus saying, really, now you believe? We've been together for three and a half years. You've heard me teach. You've watched the signs that I've performed and, and now you believe? Knowing, what they, knowing their fault in their, in their statement already. But he doesn't chastise them. He doesn't focus on, 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 on that, nor does he focus on what he's about to tell them next in verse 32, that they're going to be scattered. You're going to abandon me. Like, it's, like the, it's like the disciples were saying, don't worry, Jesus, we got this. I know you talked about this difficulty stuff, and you said the Holy Spirit was going to help. That's cool. That's a bonus. But we really got this. We can handle it, Jesus. We understand and Jesus is like, you think you got this, huh? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to abandon me. You're going to be scared. You're going to run and hide. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't beat them up for this, but he moves on to hope. And we have that in verse 33. He says, that you have peace in me. Let's read it. Verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus kind of takes this statement and paints two realities that Christians, his followers, live in simultaneously. We live in the world, and in the world we have trials and sorrows, and we live in him, and in him we have peace. And then he ends this chapter, like I mentioned earlier, with a priestly prayer. And then they walk out, and he's arrested. And that's the end until he comes back in chapter 20, post-resurrection. When I look at these two passages, I think it's pretty sweet. I think it's really sweet, and it's really the heart of 
my big idea today, that Jesus, hours away, moments away from being arrested, hours away from suffering and dying a brutal death, that he's focused on his followers. He's focused on preparing them for what they're going to face. He's focused on their peace. Now, if the shoes or the tables were turned, if, if I were in Jesus' shoes or sandals, if I was in Jesus' sandals, I don't know that my attention is on other people. I think my attention is on how do I gain some sense of peace before I walk into what I'm going to walk into. But isn't it a beautiful picture that Jesus is concerned for them and their peace? If you, don't leave, if you leave today and, and you walk out with one thing, don't let it be the whole Rome and the Greek language paved the way for Christianity to spread. That's cool. That's your second thing you should remember. But let it be this. Let it be this. Jesus didn't come to manufacture your peace. He came to share his peace. And that's peace on earth. He didn't come to manufacture your peace. He didn't come to give you your hallmark ending. He came to share his peace with you in those troubles, in those trials, in those sorrows that he says are going to happen to his disciples then and to his followers now. It's his peace, not yours. His peace that Paul says in Philippians 4, 7 exceeds all understanding because it's not human peace. It's his peace. What we didn't look at because we kind of focused in on these peace passages is in both chapters, chapter 14 and chapter 16, what we see is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit and describing the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, the one who will come when he leaves, the one who will indwell in his followers and guide them. Every time he mentions the Holy Spirit, then he couples it with like peace. Like there's a connection there. The Holy Spirit, my peace. But it's interesting that he doesn't just say, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm giving you my peace. He says a couple of other things. John chapter 15, besides just my peace I give you, he, he, remain in my love. John chapter 15, 19. John chapter 15, 11, be filled with my joy. Peace, love, joy. That looks familiar not just because it's ornaments on the stage. That looks familiar because that's the first three things listed in the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the thing that flows from our life because the Spirit within us. See, Jesus didn't come to manufacture your peace. He came to share his peace. And that is peace on earth, that we could have peace with God and we could have the peace of God. So here's what I'd like for you to do. A couple of practical things, a couple of takeaways. If it's true that, that he's come to give us his peace and not necessarily be the genie in the bottle who's gonna make the peace that I think is peace, my definition of peace, the same mistake that the, those who are waiting for Messiah made, this is what I think it should go like. First of all, don't pretend that things are okay when things are not okay. Don't pretend that things are okay when they are not okay. This truth invites us to be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And be honest with others. 
Biblical faith never asks us to not to deny the realities of living in a fallen world, and those realities are harsh. God invites us to cry out for his help. He wants us running to him in our grief. It's funny how we say we want to see God work, but then we pretend like the situations that are like perfect for him to work aren't really things. I want you to work, Lord, but my life's good. Ah, everything's all right. Be honest. He knows, right? He already knows. But be careful not to stop at just honesty. Don't just call out reality, which is a good first step, but it's just the first step. You can get stuck there. The next thing is this. Remind yourself that what you are experiencing is part of God's plan. Now I know the enemy attacks. You're thinking very, if you're thinking that, like, wait a minute, is everything bad at all was God's plan? You're thinking very, like, specific oriented. I'm talking about God's plan. He told his disciples in this passage what the plan was. The plan is I'm leaving and you're staying and you're going to suffer, but I'm going to give you my peace. We're going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. But listen, this is the plan. You're going to stay in this fallen world. Why? For God's glory and your good. For God's glory and your good. If we remind ourselves that that what we are experiencing is part of God's plan for his glory and our good, then suddenly we look at those things different, our troubles differently. We talked about this in our Thanksgiving series, that we can be thankful in the midst of hard things and thankful even for the hard things. This reminder helps prevent the lie that tells us that God has failed on his part. This reminder helps us prevent the lie that says his plans and his promises have failed us. And it's a lie that devastates. Our present suffering, this present suffering, as we walk on this fallen world, it exists under his rule and according to his plan. Third, I would say, remind yourself that you're never alone. We read it in John chapter 16, verse 32, where he goes, you're going to abandon me. I'm going to be alone, but I won't be alone because I have the Father. His disciples left him, but he had the Father. In the same way, we as God's children are never left alone in our trouble. So you don't need to manage your trouble on your own. You don't need to manage with your own resources because God is with you with his abundant resources, his wisdom, his peace, and his grace. Remind yourself that you're never alone. Fourth, I would say recognize that your troubles may overcome you, if you're being honest. Your troubles may overcome you, but they cannot, cannot, not will not, they cannot possibly overcome the one who keeps you. He's overcome the world. You may be discouraged and overwhelmed by your troubles, but the Lord never is. This is that fear and trembling moment I told you about in the beginning of the message. Because I look out in this congregation and I know there's some burdens out there. You may be discouraged or overwhelmed by your troubles, but the Lord never is. 
And your trouble does not determine your destiny. He does. I gotta be honest with you, I, God woke me up in the middle of the night and I went to bed at 6 a.m. this morning and I rolled into church about 10. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm crying. I don't cry, right? We have guests. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I'm so glad you, you're here, you come to church. Maybe you came here because a family member asked you to come for their sake. Or maybe you're watching because you're visiting mom. The message of the gospel is woven through this whole message that God so loved the world that he sent his son and that's what we're celebrating, the incarnation. That we are fallen humanity living in a fallen world and we'll never measure up. There's nothing we can do. But what Jesus has done is made on the cross is allowed for us to be at peace with God and to have the peace of God. And I could expand on that because when we have the peace with God and we have the peace of God, we find a peace within ourselves. We find peace with our neighbor. There's peace that begets peace, that begets peace. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're like, I don't, I don't know about this peace with God thing, but I know I don't have a whole lot of peace. The message of the gospel is that we had to, but we just possibly, we couldn't possibly do it, but someone did. And because of that, we can be made right with God in right relationship. He did what we could not do. We have elders who will make themselves available. They'll come up to the front and kind of be available if you'd like to pray with somebody. And it's not about the prayer because I, I'm convinced that you cross the line of faith probably before you get out of your seat to talk to somebody about it. There's this, there's this thing like, boom, I, I'm in. I believe, and that's you today. We'd love to pray with you and walk alongside you. I'm gonna end with a famous poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Many of you know this, Christmas Bells. He wrote this during a very difficult time in his own life. His wife had recently passed away his son had been seriously wounded in the Civil War. One part of this poem, he writes this, about the inner peace in the midst of all of his trouble. In despair, I bow my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. Because of that, we can have lasting peace. Peace with God, the peace of God, the peace that Christ gives, that he imparts. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Because in your word, you reveal who you are, your character, your nature, and what it means to follow you. God, today, in a, in, a, in a weary world, many of us walk in with smiles, but we, we smile because we're trained to smile when we walk into church. But some of us walk in and we're weary, we're scared. We don't have what it takes, but yet that may not be the worst thing because we have you. 
your indwelling Holy Spirit. We have you, your wisdom, your grace, and your power. We thank you, Lord. Ultimately, even though we push against it, we thank you that you've, you didn't send your son to, to manufacture and, and create the, the peace that we think is peace, but, but to impart his peace to us. That our peace isn't dependent on circumstances, but it's dependent on a person. May we leave this place and indeed sing at the top of our lungs, peace on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.